Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, take your Bibles, go to First John. This morning we're going to open up in the prologue in the first four verses of the first chapter. And uh, as I said last week, we're going to be here for about the next 20 weeks or so, taking a break at Christmas. And so we'll be here, we'll be in this book uh, until uh, sometime in, in February, maybe the first week or two in March. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see where, uh, how, how the Lord uses this and, and how, he, uh, how he shapes and molds us over the next, uh, over the next couple, of, couple of months. Um, so, so last week we kind of did a very quick introduction and then we read the, the whole letter, all five chapters, to, to kind of set up where we are going in, in the book. And so some of what we hear this morning, some of what you hear this morning is going to be repeated from last week because John's going to kind of lay out his two big purposes this morning and tell us why he is writing this letter. Um, so unique to 1 John among some of the New Testament letters, this isn't written to a specific church. Rather, it's believed that this was probably written to churches kind of in a specific Area in an area rather than in a specific town. So uh, we know that John uh, served as one of the elders, perhaps even the the, the lead pastor at um, at the church in Ephesus, uh, where Paul writes Ephesians. Um, and so we, we know that he had a, he had a big John had a huge influence there in Ephesus. And so perhaps Ephesus is is included in this group. But he's he's writing kind of so, so imagine uh, imagine somebody writing a letter to the churches in New Mexico and, and just kind of writing about some things that that we're dealing with in our state right now. That's kind of the same idea as what's going on. John's sending this to a to churches in a certain area and addressing some some things that are happening in this area. And, uh, and so that's where we're going to begin this morning, by, by starting where he starts, in the beginning. And so if you will, turn to 1 John chapter 1-4 through 4 and stand with me, and, and, uh, and let's read the word of the Lord this morning. You follow along as I, as I read. And it says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed... And we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you so much for for this great opening that you've given us in John's letter. This morning, as we open up your word and as you speak to us, you would show us what it means to have fellowship with you and fellowship with one another and what it would look like for our joy to be complete in Christ Jesus. Speak this morning through your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So so the very first thing that we want to see here is that John's going to open up and he's going to give us a statement about Jesus, And he's going to proclaim from the very beginning that Jesus is the word of life. That Jesus is the word of life. We see this in, in the, the first two verses and in the first half of verse 3. John begins talking about what they've seen. So he says, what was from the beginning, 
What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed. And we have seen it and testify and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. Now, if you, in my version of Scripture, in the, in the Christian Standard Bible, and, and most likely in yours too, uh, verse 2 has a hyphen on, on either side of it. So, so the idea here is that verse 2 is almost a, a parenthetical. It's, it's almost a parenthesis. So uh, John talks about uh, having seen with his eyes and, and observed, having touched with their hands the, the word of life. And, and then he goes on and he says, that, and by the way, this life was revealed. We have seen it and, and we testify, we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. So in other words, he's saying what Jesus showed us as the apostles, we are now declaring to you. We want you to know Christ the way we came to know him. And then verse 3, he, he says again, what we've seen and heard, we also declare to you. So he's trying to, when, he, when you repeat something this many times in two and a half verses, he's trying to convince his readers of something. What we've seen, what we've observed, which is kind of like seeing, but it goes deeper than that. It has the idea of, that, that word observed has the idea that not only did we see it, but we, we examined it. We, we spent some time, we dwelt on it. And only that, we touched him. We talked last week about a couple of the false teachings that were coming up in this area. Uh, one, one was taught by some, some people called the docets, and they simply said that all matters evil. You, your body, there's nothing good about it. It's all evil, they, they would say. The only thing that exists in you that's of any worth is your spirit. And so they would say Jesus could not have come to earth in form of a man because that, that would mean that he, that he became evil because he put on evil flesh. And so, so they would say that Jesus was really just a mirage. That, that it looked like he was there, but, but when you went up to touch him, he wouldn't have had substance. And, and John's saying, no, 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 I, I touched him. We walked with him for three years. Rode in the same boat. We walked the same paths. He, he was real. And, and, and so in response to this, we're going to see that even in John 1, 14, at the beginning of his gospel, he says this, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, now listen, this is unanimously declared by the disciples and those who knew the disciples. So, so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he's, he's declaring who Christ is, he's, he says this, his message. He says, I passed on to you as most important that I, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. So, so Paul is laying out these, these physical evidences of Jesus. He, he came to earth as a man. He died a physical death. He was buried in a physical place. And three days later, he had a physical resurrection. Now remember, Paul was not a follower of Christ at this time. But he became friends with those who 
were. He spent time with those who were. And, and in the middle of his trying to snuff out this new movement called the Way, he ends up becoming a follower of Christ and the greatest evangelist I think the world has ever seen. So, so those were the docets. They said Jesus just kind of appeared as a man. He, he didn't have any real substance. He was, he was almost like a, uh, like a phantom there. And then there were some other guys that were called the Serinthians. And, and what they taught is that Jesus was just a regular guy like you and me. And at his baptism, the Spirit of God came on him in a special way and was with him throughout his three-year ministry. And then on the cross, the Spirit of God left him. So Jesus died just like a normal man. There's a whole lot of theological issues with that. I don't have time to get into all of them other than to say that John outright refutes this because he says here, um, he says in, in verse two, the life was revealed. We have seen it and we testify and declare to you the what? The eternal life that was with the father and was revealed to us. In fact, John hammers this right off the bat in his gospel. Very first thing, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. That's, that's him referencing Jesus. When he says Word here, he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, John's using language here in, in the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning of this letter, that should make us go all the way back to Genesis. He's using the same language that's used in Genesis 1.1. When it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what John is doing is pointing us back there and saying, in the beginning, when God was creating the heavens and the earth, the word, Jesus Christ, was right there with him. Jesus' life did not begin in a manger in Bethlehem. He always has been. The writer of Hebrews is going to go on and tell us that in Jesus, we have a unique picture of who God is, unlike anything that had been done before. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, he says this. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. My, my favorite way of translating that, the, the best way I think I've seen that translated, is in bits and pieces. In other words, in the Old Testament, we see God revealing some here. And we see God revealing some here. So, so, so we see Abraham who gets a picture of who God is. And in Moses, that, that picture expands a little bit. And in David, that picture expands. Then through the prophets, we, we, get, we get this bigger picture about who God is and what he's doing. And in Christ Jesus, we have all these pictures come together to give us a clear picture of who God is. So, so in the past, God spoke through the prophets, to, to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So we no longer have to go about wondering, what is God like? How does God treat those who are oppressed? We see in Jesus how God responds to sinners. How God responds to self-righteous religious folk. And how God responds to those that the world wants nothing to do with. In Jesus, we see who God is. Jesus is the word of life. And that's what John wants to declare right off the bat. And then he's going to talk about really quickly his, his two reasons that he's writing. We, we looked at these last week, and we're going to flesh them out a little bit more. His purposes, and the first, is that our fellowship may be concrete. That, that our fellowship would be solid. 
that, that it would be real, it would be tangible to us. And this is what he says at the end of verse 3. Or all of verse 3. He says, What we've seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He says, I want, I want, I'm writing to you because I want you to have real, true fellowship with God through Jesus Christ and with one another, that we might come to know what it means to have fellowship. Now, in, in the Greek, the word fellowship is a word... Uh, it's a word koinonia. And it's a very, it's a really deep, rich word that, that I think gets thrown around a lot because, it, you know, we're here, we're Baptists. So, so when we think fellowship, fried chicken comes into play there, right? I mean, always. It's not fellowship unless there's food. And we see that in, in the Bible. We see that, that the early believers shared meals together. So, so listen, that's biblical. Sitting around a table and, and eating together is, is biblical. That's good. But, but it goes a whole lot deeper than that. Because they didn't just share food. They shared life together. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 4, we see a bit of what this early life looked like in Starting in verse 32, it said, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. Now just think about that for a second. Now this wasn't a forced communism where the leaders of the church said, All right, we're taking everything you own. No, the, the believers still owned possessions. They still had their own homes. But, but there was an understanding that this, these things haven't been given to us so we can live cushy lives while there's some folks in our church that starve. But instead, they, they said, listen, we, we know that God has blessed us in order that we might be a blessing. And so if there's some stuff that, that we can sell and, and provide needs for other people, then, then by all means, we're going to do that. That's what it says. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was on all of them. Look at verse 34. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. So there's an understanding. Listen, I, I, I wanna, I'm going to be a part of meeting the needs of the believers in the church. And what a, man, what a statement. There was not a needy person among them. Why? Because they understood that the thing that held them together was greater than any of their differences. This is why Paul in Philippians chapter 2, as, he, as he's setting up um, this, this great hymn that, that he declares in, in verses 5 through 11, right before that he says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Man, think about that deep fellowship that was going on there. Deep fellowship that he's, he's talking about here in Philippians. Don't, don't, don't just look out for yourself. Don't, don't, don't go through life thinking that you're the center of the universe. You will be sorely disappointed to find out you're not. You know, as I was thinking about fellowship, I was thinking back to some experiences in my life where I've experienced um, um, fellowship and, and joy. And, and, and it's trivial and it's silly, but, but a picture that came to mind. Um, in 2011, I, I got the chance to go to a, a 
Major League Baseball playoff game. The Rangers were, were in the playoffs. Um, I got $20 standing room only tickets by the grace of God, so I didn't have a seat, but I didn't care. Uh, so, so for game went into the 11th inning, and uh, the, the Rangers hit a walk-off grand slam. And, and let me tell you, for, for the four hours or so of that ball game, particularly the last hour, we were a community in that stadium. We had fellowship, right? We were gathered there for a purpose to, to watch some guys hit a little white ball. And when the guy for the Rangers hit the walk-off Grand Slam, man, we lost our ever-loving minds, okay? We were hugging people we didn't know, high-fiving, like walking down the spiral, high-fiving. and yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a cool experience. Now, now listen, that, that was some folks gathered around a central purpose, right? The, a love of baseball. How much more, how much more should our fellowship within the body of Christ feel like a celebration of what God is doing in and through us? And yet, does it? Does it feel like when we walk through these doors, we're, we're coming to be part of a family? Maybe, maybe at times a dysfunctional family, but, but we're, 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 we're coming into being part of a family. See, and one of the things that struck me about that, that baseball game is there were people there from all different walks of life, all different kinds of income ranges, different races, and yet we were there and we were united around a common purpose, watching baseball, watching grown men getting paid way too much money to hit a white ball. But, but there's a shadow there of what the gospel is. Because in the gospel, we have people from all different walks of life, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, different nations, gathering together to worship the one true God. And th this is why over the last few weeks, we, we, we want to make sure that we are very clear that racism, white supremacy, any, any form of racism has no place in the body of Christ. Because there's going to come a day, and we're told about this in Revelation 7, 9. It says, after this I looked and there was a vast multitude, look at this, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Racists will be very uncomfortable before the throne of God. And the thing that unites us together in Christ is greater than job differences, than our socioeconomic statuses, than the color of our skin, than a preference of hymns or worship choruses, or warmer sanctuaries or colder sanctuaries, <laughs> or the color of the carpet. It, it, none of that matters on this day. What matters is that we are children of the living God. Um, if you're a reader, if you're not a reader, become a reader. But, but if, you're, if you're a reader, um, let, let me highly encourage you um, to, to go pick up a little book called Through Gates of Splendor. If you've never read this, I just I read this over the last week. Uh, it's a story written by Elizabeth Elliot, whose, some, whose, whose husband, Jim Elliot, was one of the five missionaries who went to Ecuador in the early 1950s and ended up giving their lives um, to reach a, a tribe of Indians called the Akas. And after the five men were, were speared to death by this tribe they're trying to reach, 
the wives stayed and eventually made their way into the tribe and led much of the tribe, including the men who killed their husbands to Christ. It's a phenomenal story. One where Steve Saint, who is the, the son of Nate Saint, one of, the, one of the men who was killed, ends up building such a strong relationship with one of the men who killed his father, he ends up calling him grandfather for the rest of his life. That doesn't happen outside an understanding of what God has done for us and what he wants to do for other people. Where he wants to bring, it said here, literally every nation, tribe, and tongue will be represented at the throne in heaven. But that's not all. He doesn't just write so that we can have real joy. He, he says, I'm also writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In verse 4, it simply says this, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, now right off the hand, this, this may seem like it's kind of a selfish thing for John to be saying, hey, listen, I'm writing so that our joy may be complete. Until you understand that throughout the, the writing of 1 John, every time he uses the word our, he's talking about not just him and the people he's with, but he's talking about his audience as well, his, his listeners. He says, our joy. I'm writing these things so that all of our joy may be complete in the Lord. What's interesting, if you read the Gospel of John alongside his letters, joy is a key theme even throughout the Gospel of John. So, so this is what Jesus says in John 15, 9 through 11. He says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So think about this. Okay? So, so John sat here under Jesus' teaching. He said, he said, I'm telling you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And then John turns around and says, I'm writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete as we come to have fellowship with God and with his son Jesus Christ and fellowship with one another. That that, that fellowship would fuel our joy. Now, now really quickly, let's talk about the difference between fellowship and happiness or joy and happiness. Our world has done a really, really poor job of understanding what joy means. And so we, we take it that, that joy is synonymous with happiness. Now, the two are not necessarily opposed to things. If you're a joyful person, I hope that you're happy. At least most of the time. If, 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 you're, if you have happiness, that, that can fuel joy. But, but listen, in case you haven't learned in your life, let, let me cue you into a secret. Happiness is fickle. And it's fleeting. Happiness can come and go like that. So listen, man, coffee makes me happy. But bad coffee does not keep me happy. Okay? So, so I mean, like, so there's a good cup of coffee, boy, that will, mm, mm. I'm having a, having a moment here. But, it's, but, but, man, a bad cup of coffee, like, that will ruin my morning. I talked about the Rangers game a while ago and the fellowship that was there, and there was a lot of happiness in that stadium that, that day. But you know what? About two weeks later, I can't, I'm not sure I can even talk about it. It's that painful. Uh, about, about two weeks later, the Rangers were one strike away from winning the World Series twice, and they blew it. That happiness was gone. <laughs> Devastatingly, crushingly gone. 
Now, now, now listen. If you're living your life based on happiness, you are going to experience, man, exuberant highs. But there will be devastating lows in your life. And if you're depending on that feeling of happiness, man, your life will go from mountaintop to the bottom of the sea really, really fast. With no stability in between. Now, when we talk about the joy of the Lord, let's, let's be honest, okay? Sometimes, when, when, even when we have that joy sustaining us in the Lord, that joy that's constant, regardless of whatever our circumstances are, that's why Paul can say, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance, because he had this joy of the Lord that was flowing through him. But even then, let, let's be honest, I mean, there are times that, I mean, there, there's still some exuberant highs. When you have this constant joy in your life, I mean, there's, man, there's some things that happen that are just awesome, Things like weddings and, and births of kids, new jobs and promotions and, man, exciting things that happen. But, but, but even for the believer, I mean, if we're, if we're real honest, there are devastating lows. You know, I've learned phone calls can bring happiness, but they can wreck it real quick, too. That quick. But as somebody who's experienced a lot of both, let me tell you, man, that joy is constant. And that, and that joy increases those, those times where, where, man, life is good and things are going well. But that joy sustains when nothing else makes sense. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth about some other believers in a place called Macedonia. He wants to tell these Corinthians about this joy that he experienced in, in another church, other followers of Christ. And this is what he says. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, okay? Severe trial brought about by affliction. These people are suffering. Look at what he says. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Say, what? Severe trial brought on by affliction. Um, extreme poverty. But he says they had an abundant joy. And that led to, an, to a wealth of generosity in supporting Paul in his ministry. Even through trials and afflictions and poverty... They understood what it meant to be followers of Christ and they sacrificed to see the gospel continue to go out. And this is why James writes these words that, that are often confounding to us, right? He says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kind. So when that diagnosis comes in from the doctor and it's not what you were hoping, man, it's one of those devastating lows that we've talked about. James would say, consider it pure joy. Now, now, now keep in mind, this is James, the brother of Jesus. James, who did not Consider that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, until later on. 
And he comes to believe. Now, now listen, that, that, you got to do something with that, right? When a guy's brother reaches the point where he's like, no, I, th- I think Jesus was the son of God. James, who will go on to give his life for the gospel, says, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. I don't think this means we go through praying that bad thing happens to us. We don't, we don't want to become uh, some, some sort of sadistic person that's just like waiting for, for evil and bad things to happen. But, but can I tell you something? If you live long enough, you're going to see bad things happen. You're going to experience trials whether it's your health or someone else's health. You're going to experience that because that's the reality of the world we live in. And James says, but there's a joy that can sustain us even in the middle of that. Near the very end of his life, in John's third and final letter, as he's nearing the end of his life, He writes this, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So so we know that um, that John was most likely an an older man when he writes these letters because he refers to his listeners as little children. Um, It's not something typically like a a young man would would do when he's talking to his his readers, but but John, we we think, is an old man, so he's writing back little children. And then he says this toward the end of his life, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, those folks that I've shepherded, are walking in the truth. And so as we wrap up this morning, I have have three really simple questions that that come right from from, from where we are. First of all is simply this, have you turned from sin and have you trusted in Christ the word of life? Have you turned from sin? Have you trusted in Christ the word of life? And, and just like Samantha did this morning where, where she, uh, she accepted Christ a long time ago. So, so this morning was nothing but simply a symbol of what she did. I, I refer to it like a wedding ring. If I, if I take my wedding ring off, that doesn't mean I'm not married. I'm still married, but I wear it because it's a symbol, it's, and, and I'm, I'm proud of my commitment to my wife. Baptism for us is a symbol saying, yes, I've followed Christ. I've laid my life down. The old me doesn't live anymore, but I'm walking as a new person following after Christ. So, so maybe you're here and you say, man, I've been, a, I've been a believer for a while, but I've never taken that step of obedience. I've never followed through with baptism. If you'd like to visit about that, I would love to, to tell you what that looks like and how you can take that step of obedience. If, you've, if you're here and you'd say, you know what, I've, I, I'm not even there. I've never trusted Christ. I've never turned from my sin and trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. So let me beg you this, to make today that morning. Because you can't experience the things we've talked about this morning apart from that relationship with Christ. You can't experience the fellowship with one another that would cause people to sell their stuff and, and give it to the church so that needs could be met. And the joy of the Lord that sustains even when life looks like it should be falling apart. And to have a joy that will carry us through. If you'd say you've never done that, come. When we sing in just a moment, come, come grab my hand. Let's, let's talk and pray. If you are a believer in Christ and you, you know for sure that you're, you're following with Christ, how, how's your fellowship? First of all, with God, how's, how's things between you and him, how's, how's that 
fellowship, not your relationship. If you, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've, if you've prayed and asked Christ to forgive your sins and you've placed your faith and trust in him, we, we believe that's a one-way street. You're not going back. You are a child of God. We'll get into that in several weeks. John's going to hammer on that point. But your fellowship can be disrupted through, through sin, through neglect, through, through distraction. So, so how's your fellowship with God? And then secondly, how's your fellowship with, with other believers? Are, are you plugging in with, it, with a small group and trying to get to know some folks? Trying to find out how you can share life with some other believers who will, who will strengthen you and encourage you? And I'll say this all the time. If, if, if your experience here at First Baptist Church is, is coming in and, and sitting through the service and then leaving, you are missing out on what it means to be part of a small group and, and to be part of a community. And finally, how's your joy? Again, I'm not talking about happiness because we all, we all know that person who's like just too happy all the time, right? Like, like no, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like a fake happiness. I'm talking about joy. How, how's that sustaining joy? And if you're here this morning, you'd say, you know, either, either your fellowship is, is, is shaky or, or, or your joy is just not, just not there for whatever reason. Man, I would, I'd love to visit and pray with you. Let you see how I can encourage you in that. Because those two things, I believe, are, are related. As your fellowship with the Father increases, that's gonna, and your fellowship with one another, with other believers deepens, that's going to fuel joy in your life. And, and as that joy is fueled, it's going to lead to more fellowship, which will lead to more joy. But, but man, listen, if, there, if there's a disconnect there, if, if there's some issue in your life that you're struggling with that just, just can't seem to kick, if, if there's any bitterness or wrath, th- th- those things will rob you of your joy. Go, go read Galatians chapter 5, because right before Paul lists the fruits of the Spirit, he lists the, the, the works of the flesh that war against the Spirit. Those things that will rob our joy. Man, so I don't know, I don't know how the Lord's dealing with you this morning, but uh, as, as we begin to sing here in just a couple of minutes, the, the altar is going to be open. You're welcome just to come and pray. Um, I'll be on this side. Chuck will be on this side. So if you, uh, you want to come and just, uh, just, just have somebody pray over you, we'd be happy to do that. However the Lord's moving, you obey. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together. God, I will pray, I pray that we, we would be a church that, first of all, trusts deeply in Jesus, the word of life, and seeks to follow him in everything that we say and everything that we do. God, will you increase our fellowship as a church? That, that as we grow closer to you, individually and, and even as, as small groups and as a congregation, that, that, that our growing closer to you would bring us closer together as well. That, that we, wouldn't just be, we wouldn't just be ships passing in, in the night, but, but that we would, we would be people that, that latch on to other believers. And that our joy would increase, that even as we walk through difficult times in this life that we know come, that we as a church would have an abiding trust and joy in you. 
move through these next few moments. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. If you'd like to contact us, please use the contact us form at www.fbcalamo.com to get in touch with us and let us know how we can pray for you or serve you. If you have a question for Pastor Kyle, you can contact him by email at kyle at fbcalamo.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good week.